listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. What's up, Lakers fans? Recording this on a Wednesday. The series all tied up against the Suns at 1-1. Pretty impressive performance by the Lake Show on uh, Tuesday with a 109-102 win. We'll jump into that and also preview Game 3. Before, got to let you know, subscribe to the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. You can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we're there. And, of course, check out silverscreenandroll.com for all your Lakers needs. Joining me, as you will be on most Wednesdays going forward, Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina, what's going on? Oh, you know, life is so much better when the Lakers are 1-1 than when they're 0-1. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the uh, the social media world when it comes to Lakers Twitter is also a lot more pleasant after a win than it is coming <laughs> off of a loss. I mean, some of the things I was seeing after the 99-90 loss on Sunday, it was like the sky is falling, the season's over. And then they came back with a pretty imp- impressive performance. Um, I know they kind of recapped that on the pod that was recorded post-game on Tuesday. But, you know, one thing I noticed watching this game, and, and again, looking at it, the Lakers – are always going to have a size advantage. They are they are a big team, and that was one thing I noticed. You know, when they were taking on the Warriors in the play-in game, it was like it looked like a, a JV squad against the against the you know a, a NCAA Division One team, just in terms of size at the one through five. And I think one good thing that the Lakers did in the win was just slowing the game down and and not letting the the Suns have as many possessions. I think Phoenix had eighty four in the loss. But if you look back at the win that they had, they ended up having a hundred possessions. So even that much made a difference. And I think the Lakers are going to be a team just because of their defense. They're going to be better suited to slowing the game down and almost playing. I don't want to say it. Cause I sound like the resident old guy, which I am as a part of our team anyways, but it's more <laughs> like late nineties, early two thousands basketball in the sense that slow it down. Um, let's try and let's try and grind out wins. And I thought that was one good thing that they, they did in this one. What, what did you find to be any difference between game one and two? Well, you know, Anthony Davis appeared to be in the building for game two, which is always a positive, you know, um, we talk about his passivity on occasion. And to me, that was the most disappointing part of game one was that he just didn't seem to be, you know, he didn't, he wasn't like mentally there. Uh, I don't, I don't know exactly what the situation was, if this was a feel out game for him. Um, I know LeBron James is famous for the game one feel outs, but Anthony Davis just doesn't have the playoff history that you would think you'd need to rely on in order to you know just throw away one game uh but he was just so much more engaged like actually rolling hard to the basket you know in transition he was beating his man down the floor um he was hitting his free throws which thank the good lord because during the regular season it certainly seemed at times that he was also suffering from this perverse free throw curse that seems to strike every Laker that you know dons purple and gold if you want to read more about that, our, our guy, Ali uh, Bepornia did a really nice piece about what the Lakers free throw curse is on silver screen roll last week. But yeah, I really think that more than anything was the difference, right? Like Anthony Davis was engaged. And if he is out playing Deandre Ayton, then all of a sudden, you know, the Lakers are not dealing with the talent disadvantage at the lead guard and the big spots. And now we're back in business. Right. So I know I, I did think that there were still some defensive issues that I would like to see the Lakers iron out um, specifically in terms of dealing with Devin Booker. Like there's that, uh, that high pick and roll, that Spain pick and roll that just for some reason is, is still giving the Lakers some difficulty, but you know, it was, to me, it was more just like a level of engagement than anything, right? Like the Lakers weren't playing as hard as the Suns in game one. You saw that in terms of their rebounding, you saw in terms of the transition points and they were playing as hard as them. And at that point, their talent is going to bear out. 
Yeah, you're going back to AD, like you were saying, I mean, how assertive he was going to the free throw line 21 times and obviously making 18 of them. I mean, that's a stark improvement. But I just think with his aggressiveness, and we talked about this on the pod last week, is when AD is not settling for jumpers, he is so much better. And he's great as he is, Mm -hmm. but he hits another level when instead of, and you know, we talked about this, like, like I said last week, is he, he had a tendency, and I noticed this throughout his time with the Lakers, is that when he was off, he would catch the ball on the block, immediately look to face up, and he'd settle for that 15-foot jumper with a hand in his face. And when he's attacking the rim like he was on, 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 uh, on Tuesday and, and getting to the free throw line, being aggressive, that opens up things for everybody else around him, right? Even the three-point shooting, although they weren't great in, in game two, it, it also opened things up. I mean, LeBron helped going four of nine always obviously helps, but what, what mm-hmm. I saw that I liked the most is just the aggressiveness. Without, I mean, even Andre Drummond, again, you can pick on whatever he is defensively, 15 points and 12 rebounds and 24 minutes of action. That's pretty damn good, and I think it's coming from the entire team being a little bit more focused on being aggressive uh, i know they talked about this a bit on the pod on on tuesday but just about the what do you think about the center rotation uh montrez harrell didn't get to play marcus all got 20 minutes again didn't have an eye-popping stat line i just love the fact that he's able to extend the floor and open things up especially when he's on the court with ad uh do you think that's something we're going to see going forward or, or is this going to remain fluid for what frank vogel is going to do with his rotation going throughout the postseason my gut is that it's going to remain fluid i mean usually we you know, we check on the box scores after a Laker game when Drummond and Gasol both played. And it's like, oh, look at that plus minus next to Mark and look at that plus minus next to Andre. And that was not the case in game two, right? Like Marcus Gasol is a minus four, Andre is a plus five. I mean, even Caruso was a minus eight in the box score, which legitimately never happens for Alex yeah, Caruso. Yeah, yeah. So I do think that this is a situation where Frank realizes that he's going to be relying on some combination of the three centers throughout what hopes to be an extended postseason run. And you just got to keep those guys engaged, right? Like you have to keep them buying in and Mark hadn't played in a little while. So I think it was important to get him some run. Um, I I mean, I I hate the fact that the Lakers are like, you know, playing politics with their center rotation that they just have to like, oh, it's time for this guy to participate, you know? But I do think that was part of the impetus of getting Mark into the game because Trez was kind of good, you know, in game one, he was really good at attacking Dario Sarge, who was more physical than him. He and LeBron had a nice chemistry going on that second unit. So I don't think Trez did anything in particular to get himself out of the game, but Mark, like you said, spaces the floor. Like he hits that crucial three in the fourth quarter that re you know, gave the Lakers the lead again after Phoenix had just taken it, you know, for the first time, Mm -hmm. I think in the second half, uh, that's something that no other center on the Laker roster can do. Obviously. I mean, unless you're considering it in Davis a center, but whatever Uh, it's just, nice to see all of the space that the Lakers are working with on the offensive end when Mark is there. And I do think that he holds up perfectly fine defensively. Like, I don't think this is the best series for him defensively in terms of how the Phoenix uh, perimeter players can spread him out a little bit more on the floor than you would want, but he's solid. And uh, I don't think he's like taken away anything on that end of the floor. Uh, I'm, I don't want to like, you know, make this like a drum and bashing thing or anything. I still think that Gasol should be the one starting. That's obviously not going to happen. So it's good to see him at least getting some run off the bench because like you said, just it seems like the Lakers can be stuck in mud sometimes on offense, right? Like just nothing is happening and Anthony Davis is settling for jumpers and Dennis can't even drive to the hoop because Andre's standing right there. So it was a good look to see them, you know, revert back to that starting lineup from the start of the season with Marcus All and have just some room to play with. Uh, but I don't expect that to be like fixed going forward because 
Well, first and foremost, Anthony Davis is still the best player that the Lakers can play at the five. And you saw that end of game run came basically entirely with Davis playing center. So, you know, ultimately like how the Lakers fill the minutes up until those final eight, like is a little less consequential than Davis just come in terms of the fact that, oh, this is my best position. And that's where the Lakers should be playing it. Yeah. he uh, When he's at the five, I mean, again, uh, you know, I know that some of the underlying numbers might not support it, but the, they just mm-hmm. look like a, a more fluid team on the offensive end. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The, you know, defensively, they defensively, I just think their entire roster is, is pretty damn good and, and in tune with what the system that they're running there. And I think they're, they're, they're good with that. But I also think the issue comes in, um, when you when you're when you're going with with the Drummond and an AD, it, it it looks a little bit more clunky. Again, it didn't look so bad in game two with the offensive end, but defensively, even I think it takes a bit away from what the Lakers do best, which is getting out quickly on rotations. They're able to close out on shooters. You know, the help side against Phoenix. You know, for the most part, yeah, they were slow a few times on on Booker, which resulted in him getting 17 free throws. But I think overall they're, they're able to c- come over on the help side and they're not worrying too much. And, you know, you're holding Phoenix to, to 30% shooting from the three point line, which is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. So I think they do have to, they do have to make this still not perfect yet. And I, and, you know, we, we talked about this a bit last week is it's going to take them some time, right. To figure things out because of the, the time that LeBron missed the time that AD missed adding a guy like Andre Drummond, you know, shooter was out of the lineup there too, for a bit at the end. So you're trying to figure out this whole, uh, rotation. You're trying to figure out what's going to work against these guys in terms of the Suns. So I, I think there's still a little bit more, like another level the Lakers can reach, which I'm looking forward to doing. Uh, let's talk about the game three. We're coming up. Uh, we'll do that after a short break. All right, and we're back. So Sabrina, going into game three, there's one thing I want to ask from a Suns perspective. Obviously, with Chris Paul, this guy always ends up getting hurt at the most inopportune time. Does he not? I mean, it's just like, what, what happens to Chris Paul? Why does he always get hurt in the playoffs? But how much of an It impact? was literally not a Clippers playoff run where Chris Paul was not hurt. hurt. I yeah. mean, I just feel, I feel badly for the guy, um, but also I generally despise Chris Paul's game, so not that badly. Why? What do you despise about his game overall? He's just really chirpy on the court all the time. Uh, he does little things that, I mean, like that play where he um, kind of undercut LeBron on the free throw in game one, you know, the one that ends in the campaign Caruso. Frick, it's for lack of a better word. Like, um, I'm just, I've never been a huge fan of his attitude. And, uh, you know, I was always team Darren Williams, so. Okay. Not a huge Chris Paul fan. Yeah. Okay, well, we see how one, one guy's still in the league, one guy isn't. So there. <laughs> hey, one guy made the NBA Finals and has made two conference finals. Let's look at the head-to-head too. Okay, 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 okay Sabrina. Okay, <laughs> okay, you're gonna come with that point. Okay, but how how much of an impact do you think this his his injuries are having on this series? Like, do you, do you think if Chris Paul was fully healthy, uh, you know, operating the way he was during the regular season, you think Game Two would have went differently at all? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I do think that the level of physicality and just like overall attentiveness that the Lakers brought to game two probably would have led them to win whether Chris Paul or was playing or not, you know, because like they're not getting all of those points from campaign and Chris Paul is playing his normal minutes. So I, I do think that like the Lakers had, I think they would have been fine in game two, even if Chris Paul were healthy. Like I'm not saying that the Phoenix is obviously better off with Chris Paul in his current state, because that's obviously not the case, but um I don't think his absence like, or his presence is enough to swing the series in Phoenix's direction. It obviously makes it a tougher series for the Lakers if Chris Paul is able to perform the way he did during the regular season. But I think the Lakers would have figured out how to defend him in time. What about you? 
What do you think? Well, who do you think the best option is if he's if he's like, would you go with Schroeder on him just because of the quickness and the and, the, you know, he's able to keep up with him laterally? Or are you looking at a guy like KCP? Who, who do you think would be a better the best matchup for him like that when he's rolling at 100 percent? Or do you, you know, I think like uh, I think Caruso is probably your best option on like really any perimeter player. And that's probably where I would lean like in closing time for the Lakers. Uh, I think Schroeder is perfectly fine, though, at the start of games like uh, he has just enough of that, like get into your skin kind of thing that annoys Chris Paul. So yeah, I think, I think Schroeder with his length and speed is, is good enough for Chris Paul at the start of games, but at, at the close, that's, that's a Caruso matchup. So Sabrina, not a fan of Chris Paul. Thank you for telling us that. I didn't know it was this, this much vitriol you had towards Chris Paul. I think Chris I was Paul like the only Laker fan in the world that like was happy with the veto. <laughs> You probably were, yeah, in hindsight. I mean, it did kind of work out in its own way eventually. But um, no, it's it's funny because even even with Chris Paul, like I'm with you too. I love the way he plays as a point guard. Like if I was ever to to, to play with a guy, I, I just think he, he does a great job of it. He'd also be a pain in the ass in terms of how he spoke to you, I'm sure, just based off what we've heard from prior teammates and, and seeing his frosty relationships with, with guys like Blake Griffin. Um, yeah, and it, 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 James Harden, as much as they worked well together on the court, by all accounts, Chris Paul, not exactly the, the most easiest guy to get along with. But yeah, I'm with you. I think we, we've seen this before. And obviously, we've seen it happen with the Rockets. We've seen it happen with the Clippers where, okay, whatever teams Chris Paul's on, it, ain't, it might not get it done. And, and I think we're seeing that here too, because I love the fact that the energy was the way it was in the arena for game two. I love the fact that the people were getting after. And obviously I think it means a lot more to Phoenix fans being out of the playoffs for as long as they have been. And then always also playing the Lakers defending champion with LeBron James, Anthony Davis. Uh, I, I just think that the Lakers are better suited for this going forward. And I'm interested to see what happens at Staples because without the, the fans that they had in the arena, are the, are the Suns going to be able to bring it? And, and it seemed like to me that guys like Jay Crowder who have, who have played, you know, deep into the playoffs before, and they have this experience, they don't seem shook, but then you have the other guys that, like you said, like like Devin Booker, as good as he is, is he going to be able to handle it when the when the pressure's on? When it's a two one, uh, you're down two one in a series, or you're down three two in a series. How are you going to perform in that next game? And that's where I'm interested to see what happens over the next couple at Staples. Um, going into Game Three, though, when you're looking at when you're looking at what the Lakers did right and what they did, you know, what they did right in Game Two, as opposed to what they did wrong in Game One. What is the one way that you think the Lakers would have to come out and to play their perfect game? Like that they're just like, wow, the Lakers did everything right. Does it start with the defense or are you more concerned with them getting things figured out on the offensive end? You know, the way this team is constructed, uh, everything just boils down to the defense, right? Like the the types of rotations that Frank Vogel puts out there like are inherently less offensively talented um, because they want to provide pressure on the defensive end. And then that allows the Lakers to get out in transition. So we're not stuck in so many half court possessions. Um, and to me, like you can tell that the Lakers are locked in if they're defending well, right? Like shots will go in and out. Like I thought the Lakers were playing really well in game two, they just couldn't buy a damn bucket. Right. Like, and then you get things like Contavious Caldwell Pope in his head because he doesn't want to shoot anymore. And that lovely video of LeBron just telling him he needs him to shoot because that's what KCP is here for. Yeah. But um, to me, it all for the Lakers, like this team, it always starts on the defensive end. Like if they are keeping the Suns in check on that end of the floor, if they are keeping Booker off the foul line, which is like one of the only things they really didn't do well defensively in game two, um, you know, if they're closing out on shooters, those are the things I'm looking for. The offense will come and go. It, it just always has with this particular Laker team. They score just enough, you know, um, I'm always first things first checking on that defensive end. 
Yeah, I'm with you. And like you said, just the way they're constructed and, and the way they ran through the playoffs last year. I mean, I remember you remember that game one loss they had in, in round two to Houston mm-hmm. in the in the bubble. And everybody's like, ah, oh, this is going to And it's like, no, they just came out and kicked their ass really the rest of the way. And I think that's what you, you might see in this series. Not just Phoenix, I think, is a better team than what Houston was last season. But I do Agreed. think ultimately that the Lakers, once they figure things out in the defensive end and you can hold this team. I mean, Phoenix played pretty damn well in game one and they scored 99 points. Right. Right. And that was like a higher possession game, as you mentioned. Yeah. yeah. And now, you know, they scored 102 in, in, in game two, and you're holding them below, you know, well below their scoring average for the season. And I, that's no accident, you know, and like, like we said, the Lakers played awful, especially in the offensive end in game one, they looked at a sink. Uh, everything looked like they were, it looked like we were back, you know, they're playing a preseason game again, where it was just like, they're, they're getting tuned up. But now I think once they start to get things figured out, and of course, it helps that Anthony Davis and LeBron James combined for 57. Schroeder added added 24. So you basically got what 81 points out of those guys right there. Uh tough to beat. Good? When they're yeah, <laughs> tough to beat when you're when when you know your three best scorers are giving you that. And if you look at, you know, like you add Andre Dummett to that, they got 96 points from their starters. They got 13 points from the from the bench, right? And if they're playing like that, good luck, good luck beating these guys in a seven-game series. Uh, final question for you before we wrap up here. When you're looking at this series overall, Sabrina, and, and you're just looking at you know, looking at the rest of the Western Conference. Now, I think that Denver-Portland series might go seven. Um, I think Utah and Memphis might go six or seven. I mean, we'll see what happens. Donovan Mitchell is back on uh, on Wednesday night, so we'll see how much of an impact. I'm sure it will have an impact on, on the game. But when you're looking at... Um, when you're looking at this series, how confident are you that the winner of this one will come out of the West? So I am... Uh... I'm like a hundred percent confident that the winner of this series will make it to the Western conference finals. Hang on a second. Let me write that down, Sabrina, because I want to mark the date and mark the time that you're saying. <laughs> okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> because I just don't think that Portland or Denver are very good matchups for either of these teams. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a shame that Phoenix and the Lakers got matched up in round one, because I do think these are two of the top three or four teams in the West. And it's too bad that they had to play each other this early in the postseason. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm going to say 100% that one of these teams makes the Western Conference Finals. From there, though, it'll be interesting because like uh, the Mavericks are obviously playing very well and they have given the Lakers difficulty. Um, the Clippers, should they respond in this series, you know, they obviously are a tough matchup for the Lakers. They're a tough matchup for the Suns as well. Um, the Jazz were the best team in the league during the regular season and they had the best point differential in the regular season. So it wasn't like paper tigers or anything like that. When Donovan Mitchell comes back, I expect them to be formidable once again, but I do think that this side of the bracket worked out very nicely for the Lakers because I think this is a harder series than whatever the second round is going to be. Yeah, I, I, I'm hundred percent with you. And then, you know, not, I'm not going to take the opposite end just to make it interesting. I'm with you too. I think that <laughs> Denver, Denver without Jamal Murray, once he went down, I, as good as Michael Porter Jr. is and as good as uh, Joker is, I just don't see them having it to beat the Lakers. Like, you know, I think they could have, like they did last season, right? I mean, they couldn't even do it last year. And yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I just, that's where I'm not, I'm not really. And then Portland, the same thing. It's like, sure. Lillard and, and McCollum can combine for 70 on any given night, but they're not going to do it four times out of seven against a team like the Lakers. And I'm with you. I, I actually like this Phoenix team a lot. Um, you know, depending on what happens with Chris Paul. I mean, I said this before, I said that that's going to be, I think they're going to be the toughest matchup for the Lakers. So we'll, we'll see what happens in the rest of the series. But yeah, from what I've seen from the Clippers, um, you know, they got one game to get it right. If they lose, if they lose that one in, in, in Dallas coming up, they're pretty much well done. So I'm with you. I mean, I would say I'm not a hundred percent confident. I wouldn't put myself down there. I would say I'm at about 75, 80 that whoever wins this series will come out, but we're going to have to wait and see what happens over the next coming weeks. Also, before we go uh, June 15th, that's, that's the date we're aiming at here in California for a full reopening that would open up 
a lot of room for spectators. Again, I don't know if they're, they're saying there's going to be without any uh, restrictions, but I don't know what they're going to do at the Staples Center in terms of fan access. How cool would that be? And how much are you looking for that? If the Lakers can hang around till then, how awesome would it be to finally have fans back at Staples Center almost in a you know full capacity? I mean, even with the 7,000 or so that they have at Staples Center right now for the Clipper games, like it's a good environment. Um, it's so much better than it was with the 2000 or with no fans and getting just like um, fans concentrated in those fully vaccinated sections is is a really good time. I mean, I'm just having a delightful time watching these games on television, seeing the fans, hearing them in the arenas. So uh, even if we don't get to like, you know, full 18,997 capacity, like I think just the the gains that have been made over the last couple of months are awesome. And the product has been really great on television. I'm, I'm with you too. I mean, the Knicks the Hawks are playing while we're recording this. It's on mute for me. I can't wait to, to start listening to it again. Cause I mean, MSG is, is to me is, is it right up there with Staples center. And there's obviously places like the United center that are the old school ones that are like, yo, when, when the fans are popping, it's, it's amazing to watch. So I, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully we get to see that back here on the West coast. That'll do it for this episode. Don't forget. You can subscribe to the silver screen and roll podcast network. We've got new pods coming at you every day. Anthony Irwin uh, also coming out you with it with short pods pretty much every morning. So don't forget, subscribe to us, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, Google podcast, Stitcher, wherever you get your fix, we're there. And of course, check out silver screen Sabrina, Christian Rivas, Harrison Fagan. will have you covered throughout the postseason run and into the summer. That does it for this episode. We will catch up with you guys again next week.